You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This podcast is sponsored by Wild Fang, the feminist fashion brand that's here to take down the patriarchy and is Wait committed don't... to giving back. Did we talk about that? Wild Fang is female founded and women run, offering gender smashing styles that borrow from the boys. A percentage of every purchase at wildfang.com goes to charity and they raise hundreds of thousands of dollars each year to fight for your rights, Kevin. Even mine? Go to wildfang.com Fang. and use code CRIME for 25% off. That's wildfang, F-A-N-G, dot com. Certified cat lady, Laura Bricker, have you been enjoying, well, along with your feline friends, Pretty Litter? I have been. Rocky and Felix and our often hiding cat, Zelda, um, actually really like it. And I have to say, it's awesome. My house doesn't smell like that dusty cat litter. And uh, they just had a vet checkup, and I was telling the vet, I think they're pretty healthy because the litter says nothing's wrong, even though they've been eating squirrels and chipmunks. And uh, <laughs> guess what? They were healthy. Yeah, because with pretty litter, you'll see it change color if there's too much acid in their urine or too much alkaline or there's other some other health problem. Also, the bag is like a four-pound bag. Does that last a long time? It does. Um, you know, it's kind of surprising. I was a little skeptical when I first got it that this was actually going to last a month as it's supposed to. But, you, you know, you only have to scoop out, not to be graphic, but the poopy parts and and the rest you stir up and leave it, and it lasts for the whole month, which is awesome. So make the switch to Pretty Litter today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code CRIME for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code CRIME. Crime. For 20% off, prettylitter.com, promo code CRIME. CRIME. Meow. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about true crime, pop culture, and this week, true crime updates that include cheers for ear hustle and more rage for in the dark. We'll tune in to the new TV adaptation of Dirty John, then we'll look at a giant heap of trash, no, a literal giant heap of trash, in the new podcast, The City. Joining me to get all that done and more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist Kevin Flynn. Bonjour, Kevin. We have definitely checked out giant heaps of trash on this podcast before. (laughs) We have. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and certified catnapper, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. Yes, I have quite a follow-up on my cat napping for you this week. Can't wait to hear about it. Also with us is our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, and our Patreon book club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. So we had a week off. And Laura, I know you're dying to tell us what happened in the catnapping sphere, but I'd love to hear just how was everybody's holiday? What did you do last week? How's everybody doing? I'm doing great. I uh, I made all my recipes. I started the hashtag cooking with the crime writers <laughs> to um, spread the word about my um, rum, sweet potatoes, and my mulled cranberry sauce and all that good stuff. And then I had some news that Toby Ball is probably going to be happy and somewhat distressed about. Um, as it turns out, the cat that I captured did belong to some of my neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) That's shocking. 
However, they did not tell me about this cat this summer when I was doing my canvassing about Stephen King the cat. So they were not forthcoming about having a tabby cat. It's the goat people. And that's all I have to say about that. So people have a secret cat. So you did some canvassing. Yes. That cat did not come up on the radar. No. And then when this cat was stalking your yard, you actually catnapped it. You didn't catnab it. You catnapped it. You you actually I stole did. somebody's cat. I did steal somebody's cat. I thought it was a cat that had escaped from a shelter foster home across the street. Um, it matched. We were like comparing photos. We matched the photos. They seemed like the same cat. I'm like, this is great. I'm saving this poor cat that escaped from a foster home. Um, and then when they scanned it for a microchip, they're like, sorry. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm kind of hiding from those people across the street. <laughs> well, you're the asshole who stole their cat. But can't you spin it as, look, I found your missing cat. Well, yeah. I rescued and it, your cat. Not I did. And it did seem kind of hungry. So, you know, I don't know. It, it kind of roamed around for a while. Wow. So, um, yeah. So I'm that's the story. I'm just glad you're not doing this with children. <laughs> <laughs> hey, free roaming kids. Um, if they show up in my yard, I will give them food as well. Wow. Toby, what about you? How was your week off? Did you do anything fun? I uh, went down to Alabama. Wow, that's um, fun. Saw my in-laws. It was The weather was, was quite warm. And uh, I was about a little over three hours from Winona, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, were, you, were you tempted to go there and interact with law enforcement? I would have been more tempted if it had been a little closer. Yeah. I did actually get to the point where I Google mapped it to see how long a drive it would be. But it didn't make any sense to spend an entire day doing that. Just want—I want to tell you, Laura Bricker would have done that, and then when she would have gone there, she would have stolen some Winona cats, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> put them in her hey. car. She would have been like, "I don't want these cats to have to deal with Doug Evans, so I'm just going to take don't. them." There's probably a racist dog catcher there too. You know that <laughs> racist animal control officer in that goddamn town. I'd fix it. I'd take control of the situation. Just captures the black cats. <laughs> oh God. God probably. It. It's probably. probably true with what we know. So sad. Kevin, how was your holiday week off? Did you do anything fun? As you wouldn't know, Rebecca, um, we went to Montreal together and we had a nice uh, couple of days away. Met um, some listeners at an impromptu listener meetup. Uh, met some great people. So hi, great people. Yes, we met up some listeners, and it was coordinated by one listener in particular. Should we give her a shout out for actually yeah. putting it together? Suzanne. It was Suzanne. She actually organized the meetup, picked the place, got other people to come, and we had a fantastic time. We did. Well. Uh, as long as we know we had a good time, I think we can move on and actually talk about some stuff on this podcast. What All do you right, think? Let's do it. Kevin, can you please read this for me? True, True Tribe Podcast Update. So our good friend and fellow podcaster, Madeline Barron, dropped a bonus episode of In the Dark on Tuesday. Much of that episode was a Q&A that they did with listeners about updates in the Curtis Flowers case. But the episode started with some tape from a recent trip back to Winona and the surprising announcement that Reverend Nelson Forrest's house was burned down right after he led that funeral we heard in the podcast for Curtis Flowers' mother. Nelson Forrest is the pastor who gave the eulogy at the funeral of Curtis's mother, Lola, in July. The eulogy where Pastor Forrest told people in Winona to put aside their fear and stand up for Curtis Flowers. Sick and tired of scared folks. Jesus didn't die on no cross for you to be scared. He wasn't scared. What you scared of? You stand for what's right. 
So with what we know about the history of arson in this town, which we heard on In the Dark, is it a stretch to imagine that right after a charismatic <laughs> reverend would uh, get up and give a, a very civil rights oriented speech, uh, prompting black people to stand up for what they believe in and for their rights in this particular town, that his house may have been the target of an arsonist? Toby, do you think that's a stretch? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. And it just to give some context, you know, Mississippi just elected a woman to Senate, to the U.S. Senate, who said about one of her donors, if he invited me to a hanging, I'd be in the front row. Mm-hmm. You know, she went to a segregated school, a segregated academy that were set up so that white people wouldn't have to go to high school with black people. She sent her kids to a segregated academy. You know, the, the state just just elected like pretty much an open racist. So I, you know, it's part and parcel. It's maintaining white supremacy. That's right. And we heard on In the Dark about other arsons in the town, including that school that was burned down next to Curtis Flowers' parents' house. Um, This is a town where this happens with impunity. Why, Why don't we know that it's arson? Why don't we know that it's arson, Kevin? You want to explain? Well, according to uh, Reverend Forrest's wife, that the fire department doesn't know where the fire started or what caused it. Because they didn't investigate it. Uh, right. And they said the fire marshal couldn't figure that out. And then, when Ma- of course, don't, don't, don't try to pull shit over on Madeline because she called the fire department and then she called the fire marshal's office. And the fire marshal said they didn't investigate it. Right. So how do you not de- – how and the fire chief said that he didn't think it was suspicious. How do you determine that? Right. If you don't know where it started, you don't know what the cause of the fire is, you don't know the origin of the fire is, but you're certain that it's not suspicious, how can you come to that conclusion? Yeah. Right, just with the timing, it's suspicious. Fireman can that because we've had this conversation before. Um, and they call it like undetermined origin or something when mm-hmm. that happens. Is that what they called it in this case? That is the, the proper yeah. term. They didn't use – that term it's it's frustrating i i've encountered cases like this and it is is extremely frustrating um and i think it's because basically the level of burning that has occurred they're not able to determine like exactly how it started so they can't come right out and say what happened but they can tell based on like the burn patterns Mm -hmm. and where it the uh, v pattern it'll point you right yeah yeah. they they will know where it started and then where it started you know they should be able to determine what was around that could have started it right um so if there's nothing that's like electrical around or you know accelerants um but they have dogs that they bring in to test for accelerants aside from that don't you think that from a law enforcement perspective if somebody was a prominent member of the community whose house burned down out of nowhere two days before they gave a fiery speech that was covered by the media at a prominent funeral that was attended in a town where there are a lot of racial divisions and then a couple of days later the yeah. guy's house, wouldn't like they even, wouldn't they just look at it? Even if they yeah. thought it might be an accident, wouldn't you think, forget the fire marshal, wouldn't you think like the police, like there might be just as somebody might yes. want to poke they, into this? They need to. I'm in, I, I, this is something you're going to launch me here, but no, like what the fuck? They, they need to go out and they need to find this out because first of all, the insurance people are going to come out. They're going to find out what happened. They're going to be like, why didn't the police do anything? Uh, you know, you have to go out when there's a fire that's not something that's accidental in nature and find out how it started like what's wrong with these people Uh oh what are you hearing <laughs> it's the, <laughs> the, 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 the oh my god oh my goodness 
I felt a yes. great disturbance in the force. I did too, especially <laughs> with Laura having all this like arson talk at home. But just the I, idea yes. that there was a commotion or something which alerted him to go check something out, and then there was a fire. I mean, that in the detail in and of itself seems like it would beg an investigation. In a regular place, okay? Yeah, I know. So let's just pretend that like, it's our town. If uh, there was a select meeting, select board meeting, and there was like a big conversation about like property taxes, mm-hmm. and then and you got up and you made like a fiery like speech, and then your house burned down the next day, like our little small town cops would be like, oh, we should just double check and make sure nothing well, yeah. happened. You mean like what happened with the senior senator here? Exactly. Senator? Yeah, all right. <laughs> exactly. All right. But, yeah, when, it, but in a racist town, when it happens to black people, they just don't do it. That's kind of how yeah. it goes. And I am very comfortable uh, making that characterization. It's not an assumption. It's not a stretch. It's just what it is on its face. And it's insane. It's too bad I don't have boxing tomorrow, That's Rebecca, because right. <laughs> I would just beat the shit out of that bag. <laughs> Toby, next time you're in Alabama, take that three-hour drive, would you? And uh, tell these people what's up. Will do. All right. All right, Kevin, it is time to move on. Can you please read this for me? True, True crime, crime, basic, basic cable, cable television, television update. update. This is very specific. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's not HBO. <laughs> well, guys, this is the conversation I've been waiting to have all week, especially because I want to have it with Toby. Let's be real. <laughs> Bravo is the first network to come out with a scripted adaptation of a true crime podcast the hit dirty john from the los angeles times with connie Britton as deborah newell and eric banna as john Meehan, the limited series brings to the small screen the story of deborah's whirlwind romance with a charming grifter with a hidden past you know i'm trying to find somebody who's who's a good person and who's smart and funny and has a good job and is Good to me, good to you kids, and someone I'm attracted to. Do you believe that? Do you believe her when she says that? Dirty John airs Sundays at 10 on Bravo, and they're airing encore episodes on USA Network right after the Law and Order Marathon, which I loved this past weekend. Dunk, dunk. You can also watch it on Bravo On Demand and BravoTV.com. And full disclosure, as of the taping of this episode, there's only been one episode of Dirty John, so that's what we're going to be talking about. We don't think it's fair to give the whole series a review, obviously. We've only seen one, so we're just going to give you our first impressions and let you know whether or not we are going to continue to watch the show. So if you are a TV producer, Kevin, would you worry about how much the podcast audience knows about this? Or do you just want to make a a show for a TV audience? Yeah, I think you can't worry about the fact that X amount of people have already listened to this as a podcast and know the story and know the big ending and the people who watch Dateline and the same thing. I think that you just have to Try to go with it as 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 if everybody who's watching or nobody who's watching knows what's going to happen, and I think that you also you know try to use the fact that this is a scripted version. Mm. It's not another interview or documentary. It's uh, you know sort of playing with the real life facts. You know to to try to use that to your advantage to tell an interesting story out of what we already know is a very interesting tale. Now, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was that episode one very much followed the format of the beginning of the podcast. Mm-hmm. A little like hint of the murder scene. Uh, and then there's the whole whirlwind romance thing, the whole thing where it's like five days, ten days. You know, you meet the daughters, the first impressions. One of the things I thought the show did really well, 
better, I think, than the podcast did because the podcast was limited in that it was basically just an, a reporter talking and doing interviews with the subjects, right? Right. We were able to, I think, better envision the sort of whirlwind, mm. how she got fooled, swept off her feet nature in a very short period of time. Like in the first 10 minutes of the show, they did like the whole she dated multiple guys and whatever. And then she met him and you sort of see like he stacks up a lot better than like all these other assholes that she went on dates with. What? We're supposed to be talking about you. Not oh, kids, not my job. Oh, you're so much more interesting. Not to me. You're an artist, a designer. Come on, tell me, who's your hero? Who, who's someone you admire? Laura, how, how did you think this first episode sort of stacked up? I mean, did you feel like you were watching a recreation of the podcast? Or were there sort of things that were changed? Like, what were your impressions? I didn't feel like I was watching a recreation of the podcast. I felt like I was watching, like, a Lifetime TV show that had been bumped up a few notches, maybe. <laughs> um, but I really I did like the scene where we had, like, this montage of all the bad dates she went on, all the bad internet dates. Um, because it kind of set it up in a way that when she did go out with John, you recognize why she latched on to him so quickly. Because, you know, not to, you know, when you get to be a certain age and you end up internet dating, the pool is not so hot. So I had this friend at the newspaper that I used to work with and she was, you know, she's like older than I was and she was doing a lot of internet dating and it was like horrendous. So I ended up making this like horse race board of men that she was dating to keep tabs on all these people because, you know, I think that was the sense I got from watching the show. It's like it, it, there's there's um, a lot of really interesting people in the dating market. So John did look good at first compared to what was out there. Um, there was some pretty interesting fellows. So, Toby, my question for you is, you know, this sort of reimagining of these characters. Of course, we have Deborah, as as Kevin likes to call her. Say your famous line, Kevin, about Dirty John. It's Dirty John. It's not stupid Deborah. That's right. These people complain about Deborah. So we have a Deborah who I think is very much elevated by the, the fact that just Connie Britton is playing her. You know, I don't think right. Connie yeah. Britton is playing her as smart or whatever, but she's elevating her by being Connie Britton. Then you have the portrayal of John by Eric Bana, and then you have the daughters Veronica. Toby, uh, which yeah, does not have uh, the same name. She's not her real name. She, the name was changed oh. of the older daughter. Yeah. Because name, she's wasn't such it a Jacqueline bitch. in the yes. her real, yeah. her real name is Jacqueline. It was changed to Veronica because they obviously did some tweaking. <laughs> Good morning. Sunshine. So you're spending the night now? Um, Toby, what did you think of the portrayal of these characters in the first episode, the sort of heightened portrayal of them? So my favorite part of the entire thing is the daughters, who I think are (laughs) like totally campy and fun. You know, in some ways, I wish they'd kind of gone that route with the whole thing, maybe. And then, you know, Connie Britton... I, you know, I've never seen her in anything before. What? what? Seen... <laughs> Jesus Christ, Toby. How can that be? <laughs> well, what else has she been in? Everything. Nashville. Right. Well, she was in Friday Night Lights. Spin City. Yeah, it's just, she does she, does so she play things. in the NBA? No. Oh, no. God. The so WNBA. Let me just say, she is, she is so beloved. Like, I would characterize her. Like, in the world of television acting, I would say she's like... The Michelle Obama of television actresses. What? She's just beloved across genres, okay, across be, the yeah. population, just sort of across like, you know, she's she's in so many different she's kinds TV's of things. Meryl she's Meryl Streep. No, she's not. She she has a more like like America's mom kind of thing. Okay. That, you know what I mean? Like Jennifer <laughs> Aniston all grown up. <sighs> she's just more likable than Jennifer Aniston, I think. She's more liked. All right, I, I buy it. 
Okay. I'll buy it. I just I've never seen her in anything before. Um, <laughs> and then Eric Bana. So this I was actually talking to a friend of mine about this before we'd watched it, but saw what the the casting was. And I think the the, the my only issue with him and he's he's obviously he's a really good actor, and he's in clearly good shape. But you know, part of the thing with uh, the real guy mm-hmm. uh, is that he was just a big dude. Yeah. You know, and I think. There was he, you know, even though you're just watching a podcast, if you, listening to a podcast, if you see pictures of him, like he he carries like a physical threat because he's like a big, you know, potentially dangerous guy, and and Eric Bana is like not a whole lot bigger than Connie Britton is. That's the one thing that, while it's it's like it seems like it's nitpicking, I think it's also kind of critical. Yeah. That you know you feel this like constant sort of physical threat that I, I feel like if Connie Britton picked up a, you know, a frying pan and whacked Eric Bana with it, she'd probably be doing okay. Whereas <laughs> that would not be the case against the real John Meehan. Right. So you know Eric Bana is the Hulk, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't want to make him angry. Clearly. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't like him when he's angry. Well, one of the things that I thought was really good about his performance, physical size aside, and one of the things that's very clever about the, the way that they're structuring and writing this is that in the podcast, one of the, my complaints about the podcast is that it's just so straight and because it just relies so heavily on his conversations with Deborah and his conversations with the daughters, I don't think it's possible to show how it is that like the mom can just keep dating the abusive guy while the daughters are getting these like red flag things right away. And as comical and cartoonish as especially the older daughter is in this, the one thing that you see, which... As somebody who has seen these kinds of relationships up close, like my, as I mentioned, I think we talked about her, John, like one of my best friends was in a relationship very much like this. The idea that like he's moving into her house with her, he's nothing but completely falling over himself, loving to her. And then the first time he meets the daughter, he's a super asshole to them behind their mother's back with like, I think you should come back later stuff. That's the wedge. Like, that's how they do it. Uh-huh. So then the mother thinks the kids are crazy when they say they don't like him because he's nothing but sweet to her. And he's nothing but sweet to the kids in front of her. But then as soon as she's not in the room, he's an asshole. The minute I opened the door, I was like, oh my God, who is this homeless frat guy? And he walks straight into our place and starts looking at everything with this cash register in his mind, just adding it all up immediately. What do you think about that, Deborah? Well, <laughs> I I don't agree. And that's where that like wedge driving happens. Like that's how good those guys are at it. The people are people who do this, they're good at it. And that's actually what they do. And I liked being able to see it as over the top as it was. It was like I don't want to say fun, but it was more fun than listening to just interviews in a podcast, right, Kevin? If you're familiar with the story as we are, then you know, we have all these photographs in her mind from having listened to it and so to get a visual representation of sort of her lifestyle I thought was really great I mean it may not be 100% accurate that's fine but to, to sort of place these characters in this setting and to be able to visualize and say oh I see why he is the gold digger yeah and you can see why he gets real estate porn yeah oh, absolutely. a lot of real estate porn in yeah. the show I loved it 
Yeah. <laughs> Some drone footage. I want to live on that island. Oh, my God. I was like, um, okay, what, what other podcast can we come up with so we can go live there? No kidding. I think we need to have a more successful show to be able to live there. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Laura, how happy were you to see uh, the actress who plays Ruthie in Ozark? And she's also in The Americans. She's really wonderful. Show up as our uh, beloved Tara, were you happy to see her show up in this adaptation of the podcast? I was, because as I was watching this, I was getting so angry all over again watching John, and I was just like, ugh, like, you keep hoping it's going to turn out differently, and it doesn't. And then I saw her, and I was like, you know what? Ha ha, I can't wait for that episode where she, you know, we all know what's going to happen. But um, I, I was pretty happy because she's pretty badass. What are you doing? So he, he's, a, he's a doctor and a nurse, or he's just not a doctor? Well, he's a nurse mm-hmm. and he has advanced anesthesiology training and he has a structured what, what is all this stuff doing here? Uh, well, I was going to maybe get those framed for him. She's so living here. Why are you lying about it? Tara, because it's been like a month and a half because that's ridiculous. Tara, what's going on? Um, Toby, fashion question. Would you ever go on a first date wearing cargo shorts? He did. <laughs> Would I? <laughs> yes. Not with those shoes, man. Um, <laughs> that whole thing was, yeah, that was a little, and maybe that's the whole point. It's like, you're not supposed to be too sure about what to make of it. But yeah. What did the daughter say? Who are you? The Are you delivering a package? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was great. I have to say, Toby described sort of the daughters as being portrayed like really over the top. Honestly... When you actually listen to that podcast, I found those people so unbelievably unrelatable. I don't think the daughters are being portrayed super differently than they actually came across in the podcast. I feel like it's like eight parts like the way they came across on the podcast and two parts like Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> it's like slightly over the top, mm. but it's definitely a type. My grown mother, who's been married five times already, had a boyfriend sleepover. I'm going to push this plate of bananas onto the floor. We're in therapy together. <laughs> Which was true. Almost everything we saw in this episode was in the podcast. So it's going to remain faithful to the to the real life plot points. They even had like the warehouse that she worked in looked just like we'd heard it in do, that podcast. Do you think like in and the third the books episode are separated by <laughs> color. color? Yeah. Do, do you think in the third episode they're going to veer away and then Julia Roberts is going to go like looking <laughs> for for Dirty John with her? Uh, I have to say, I, I feel like Connie Britton in this role so much better than Julia Roberts in Homecoming in yeah. terms of play, like fitting the part, fitting yeah. the role. I agree. So I think she's yeah. wonderfully cast because I think the audience yes. here likes Deborah and they're rooting for Deborah and her happiness, and that they start off John as a likable character, but with just enough of there's something not quite right about him that. You can understand why she likes him, and then it should be enough of a big reveal for the freshman audience coming in who doesn't know where this is going, that, okay, he's a bad guy. I mean, it is named Dirty John, so you can't like all of a sudden be like so surprised that he's a bad guy. And it's not named what? Stupid Deborah. <laughs> Her mom's going to be surprised. That was the only one I was like, she's what's smart. going on? Yeah, she's like, she treats Debbie so well. Um, yeah. I didn't like the casting on the mom. Yeah. Well, Jean weird. Smart's not old enough, but also I think, yes, I think that's one what of the I mean. reasons why maybe they cast her, it's maybe there be some flashback scenes of her when she's actually the age uh, she is. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Do. yeah, it could be. I don't know. Yeah, John treats uh, Deborah better than the son-in-law you had that killed your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so by comparison spoiler alert yeah. <laughs> all right well let's do what we do we're not going to review dirty john we've only seen one episode but i just want to ask you each after just one episode of this very dramatized dramatization of a podcast will you guys continue to watch laura what about you i will um because i want to see tara taking out john so i'm going to continue watching all right toby i was watching this th- this thing and I'm just going to say right now, I'm going to give my review first. I fucking loved every minute of it. I thought it was soapy and campy in exactly the sweet spot that I like these kinds of things to be. Really high production values. The casting is beautiful. Tons of real estate porn. Everything that I like in something that's so bad that it's good, this has for me. And all the entire time I was watching it, loving it, all I could think of was is... Toby is going to hate this. <laughs> so, Toby, uh, what do you think? You going to watch another episode of Dirty John? <laughs> yes or no? Well, I liked it better than Homecoming. Really? Um, wow, I did. Oh, Homecoming just—I don't know. <laughs> we don't have to go back into that. Um, the issue, I think, for the whole series, you know, starting with the concept of doing it this way, is the thing about the Dirty John story, like the one that was in the paper and the one that was in the podcast is that what was crazy about it is that it played out like sort of a typical lifetime, you know, yeah. suspense thriller show. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? And and so when you go then go and make that kind of movie about something that's real that mirrors the type of movie that you normally make that's fiction, it's like how are you going to set it apart? What's what makes this any different than you know, 15 other movies that are going to be on the next few months about the same thing with a, you know, a woman, you know, getting hitched up with the wrong guy. So I think that's that that's the issue is that in this case, reality was so close to fiction that when you sort of fictionalize it, you know, what's sort of the point? And so that was why when I said I wish it was a little campier, that to me seems like the interesting part of it, but just doing it sort of straight I don't really see what distinguishes it from a whole bunch of other things except, you know, a, a slightly higher budget and the acting, I think, is better. I, I have to say, though, I mean, you're not wrong. I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. I just it, I thought it was really fun. Like, I really liked it. And I think that it's elevated beyond the lifetime thing because it's just better. It's just better made. It's more beautiful. The acting is better. It's soapier. It also really fits with the Bravo brand like mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. They have all those stupid Real Housewives shows. Real Housewives. Yeah, and it's sort of like thinking. the dark side of that. And if you watch, if you've ever watched, and I did, God forgive me, the original Real Housewives of Orange County, like Deborah and even the character as played by Connie Britton on this show and like what we hear in the podcast. It's exactly what these women are like. It's what they look like. It's what they sound like. The daughters, even as they're played on this show, are not substantially different from the real-life daughters, the real-life housewives. Anyway, I really love it. I think it's a parody in the in the best kind of way. I mean, it's sort of like a parody of that and a dramatization of that in a campy way that, for me, just hits that sweet spot. Yeah, and I think the other thing, I'll be interested to see if they do, do anything with this, but it is kind of... For something that so closely follows all the tropes of these, you know, that certain type of Lifetime movie, you know, the only time that anybody ever realizes in the podcast and uses a a trope to their benefit is when Tara thinks she's killing a zombie. Right. 
you know? So it's like the, the most over the top, like non applicable thing is actually the thing that kind of helps them. We'll be interesting to see how that goes. What do you think, Kevin? Are you going to watch second episode with me or not? Because I'm definitely going to watch it. I'll watch it. We're brought to you by Brooklyn and Sheets. <laughs> <laughs> you spend a third of your life in Sheets. It's about time for a bedding upgrade. Now, we just said we spent this past week up in Montreal. In a beautiful hotel. Beautiful hotel. We had a meetup with a bunch of listeners. I met a Crime Writers on listener. Her name was Guylaine. Yeah, she's and she so said, great. I, she says that I'm saying her name right. I'm positive I'm not. And we were talking, and she ordered Brooklyn and Sheets, used our promo code, got a set of Brooklyn and Sheets. She got them, and uh, they came over the summer. They were in the middle of a heat wave. She put them all out the first night. She slept on them, and the next day, they were stained. You it was know, her boyfriend who stained her them boyfriend with his sweat. sweaty body. Now, look, I know. <laughs> I've never had a problem with Brooklyn and Sheets, right? You guys, you've never had any problems with Brooklyn and Sheets, right? I have not. Of course not. She didn't know what to do. She called Brooklyn and Sheets, and she said, you know, this is what happened. They said, not a problem. Our sheets are lifetime guaranteed. And, and this is what it don't means. come out, you get the new sheets. They sent her the new sheets, no problem. They back up everything for life. So you're, you're buying with complete confidence, whether it is their sheets, their comforters, their towels, they all come with that lifetime guarantee. They make towels? They make towels. Oh. Oh, you have to go. What's the promo code? Go to brooklinen.com, <laughs> B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N. And you can check out the linens, of course, and the sheets, but they have all sorts of other great things that are there. The pillows, and I, we're talking about the comforters that they make. Uh, it's all great. They're definitely the most comfortable sheets that we've ever slept on. So it's time for your own upgrade. You get an exclusive offer. It's $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code CWO. CWO. But the only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code CWO at brooklinen.com. B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code CWO. Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever. What else you got, Kevin? Well, I have an ad here for um, for Bombas socks. Oh, our favorite oh. sock. And there's a little note here, and it says, feel free to go rogue. <laughs> Which is good, because I have some things about Bombas socks I want to get off my chest. Go. Right, what am I wearing right now? Bombas socks? Oh, my God, those are the freaking orange ones that I always want that you always steal. <laughs> yeah. Here's the problem, folks. If you get Bombas socks... There's going to be a fight in your house. Mm. This is the thing. Where do you think I found these socks? In my drawer. In your goddamn drawer. Yes. Mine. Yes. And the kids have them, and, and they're taking my socks and using them in their drawer. This is the problem with Bomba socks. You get a pair, everybody will want it, and you'll be fighting forever. I'm not saying that it could destroy your family, but it could destroy your family. <laughs> Amen. You're going to be going in each Amen. other's drawers. There is a pox on my house thanks to Bombas socks as everybody likes the arch support system, the cushion footbed, Bombas' stay-up technology, and the super soft cotton material that makes you never want to take them off. In fact, unless you have a place to hide your socks, mm. do not buy Bombas socks. Although I guess the thing you could do is just buy more Bombas socks. Or unless you're willing to do your own laundry and take care of your own socks, maybe you should just be willing to give up your Bombas socks to your family. This is not about you, or Rebecca. Give up your family. <laughs> or give up your family. Your socks or your family. All See right. the dilemma, folks? I do. I do. But also, just remember that when you buy a pair of Bombas socks, they also give a pair of socks to a shelter or some other charity. And so... Well, you know, maybe I was wrong. Maybe you it's should buy some socks. literally my favorite pair, particularly your feet, so you I'm give them up. some socks. It's Christmas. I always get people socks for Christmas. I'm so excited about this. Bombus, Bombus. Here's what I'm you do. I'm getting them for myself, actually, but um, it is Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Go to Bombus. 
Amazon.com slash crime. Crime. And use the code crime for 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash crime. Crime. Code crime. Crime. And you'll get 20% off your first order. Moving on. Kevin, can you please read this for me? True Crime Podcast Update. Huge and wonderful news broke out in the True Crime Podcast world this week as we found out that Erlon Woods from Ear Hustle, Governor Jerry Brown has commuted his sentence. Erlon spent 21 years in prison for an attempted robbery. And once released, Radiotopia, the network that carries Ear Hustle, says that Erlon is going to be hired to continue to work on the podcast. He's going to be an employee of Radiotopia. So he will continue to work on Ear Hustle. We'll continue to hear his voice We're there. going to pay you for the thing you were doing for free. I have to tell you, I know the people who work at Radiotopia. Uh, it's a place that like I would love to work. They are wonderful. It's like a fantastic group of people. It's a great company. It's a really plum job mm-hmm. that he's getting, and he's 100% qualified for yeah. it. I could not be happier to hear this news, both about the commutation and that he's just going to continue working on the podcast. But here's the question. Laura, we've like been talking about this for years, like the difference podcasts can make in the criminal justice system. You don't think that this case and Erlon in particular, I mean, Ear Hustle was actually named in the in the commutation document that yeah. Governor Brown signed. Right His sentence would not be being commuted had it not been for this podcast, right? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I like to think the podcast had something to do with it. And we've talked about this before, that these cases that seem like ordinary cases, when they get that level of awareness and people hear about the people behind the story, uh, it seems to make some difference. So I was so excited. This came out like the day before Thanksgiving. It was awesome. My friend, the upmarket intuitive, like texted me at like late at night. Oh my God, did you see the news? I was like, this is like the best news that you could hear. It's good to see something like this happen. I'd like to think that the podcast had nothing to do with it. You'd like to think that. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, he certainly, when you read the letter um, that... Erlon has led an exemplary uh, life behind bars and has taken part in a lot of different things. He said that in 20 years, he's only been written up three times for infractions. I mean, that's incredible. And he really has, I mean, you can tell by listening to sort of the, the quality of the person for a real bullshit kind of, what was it, 30 years to life? Yeah, it was one of those three strikes robbery. and you're out kind of situations. Yeah, there was an enhancement because he was using a firearm. And it just seems like, man, there are guys with bodies on them that are doing less time. And one interesting thing is that Governor Brown, who Erlon, like, you know, in the, the special episode that they dropped, you know, went on to praise, he has commuted the sentence of over 1,100 inmates. Hmm. Uh, the previous governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, in his, all his time did 15. Yeah. And the previous governor did zero. Well, we all know that Jerry Brown's a giant hippie. You know that, right? He is. And, you know, <laughs> but he's also pointing to, you know, the overly stringent sentencing yeah. guidelines that yeah. have been put in place and, and, and for nonviolent offenders uh, have been trying to do a lot. I wish you could say that all people that go to prison are ready to re-enter society at such a high level. They aren't. But here's a guy who is, and I think we should celebrate it. I think we should also hope that, you know, Erlon is now going to be out of prison producing the podcast. I really hope it gives somebody else the opportunity to have their voice be heard by lots and lots of people telling the stories of what it's like to be in San Quentin and, you know, gi- you know, giving other people the opportunity to develop. I mean, Erlon didn't just get to tell his stories. He got to develop like, a tremendous amount of skills working on this project with Nigel. And I like to think that Ear Hustle, not just as a, a 
an entertainment product, something I get to listen to. But as a rehabilitative program, the like storytelling, writing, producing, I mean, there really isn't a, a much better and more relevant creative outlet really in the world right now than learning how to make a podcast. And I'm excited that, you know, this happened and I'm excited for the other inmates who get to now participate. Toby, do you have any thoughts about Erlon's commutation and his getting a job and how this all went down? I, I just can't believe he was in there for 21 years. Yeah. It's just it's a, it's an insanity. But I mean, good on Jerry Brown for uh, doing all those commutations. It seems like kind of like almost a moral obligation for mm. a governor mm-hmm. to be doing stuff like that. But I, I imagine that that he, he kind of stands out in that regard. Well, Toby, he's a giant hippie. Come on. <laughs> That's good. That's why I like him. <laughs> him and Linda Ronstadt. Exactly. Remember when he ran for president back I in the nineties, yeah. and he had 92, that. Like, I interviewed him. And uh, he had that phone number you could call and uh, donate like ten dollars or whatever. Be his head of his time before the internet. <laughs> you know they did. They dropped a five minute episode of uh, Ear Hustle to announce the news, and in it they played the tape of Erlon calling the seventy year old mother. Hello. Hello. Uh, is this the mother of Erlon Woods? Well, it sounds like Erlon Woods. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Mama, they finally came. They commuted my sentence today. So that means. What? Yes. That means you Oh, my God. You're... I get to have a man around the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sadly, I'm not coming back to sit down south, though, no. Um, uh-huh. No, I, 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 I paroled to Oakland, but I'll be down there, but I paroled to Oakland. Oh, well, I'll be in Oakland. <laughs> yes. yes. So. Um, Uncle's coming. Coming home. Yeah. Also, and guys, I don't know if you caught the beginning of it, but when they went to announce it, Nigel said, We got some breaking news, Erlon. <laughs> it's the day before Thanksgiving, and today you got some amazing news. I just saved a bundle by switching to Geico. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Love that, Erlon. That's good. Moving on. USA Today has released The City, a new investigative podcast that looks at how power works in urban America. Season one tells the tale of an abandoned inner city lot in West Chicago that became the site of an illegal debris dump that grew six stories high. It was a mess. It was a mess. That's the best I can say for it. I first started visiting this lot, which is in a neighborhood called North Lawndale, after hearing a story about something that happened here. At first he had uh, uh, big 18-wheelers lined up. You know, I just thought, well, hey, somebody just parking their trucks in there. To a guy say, uh, Miss Woodson, come down and look at this. Do you know somebody's dumping over in that lot? The tale of the North Lawndale dump focuses on neighbors, city officials, politicians, the shifty businessman responsible for the mess, and the government agents that let it happen. Not a traditional true crime podcast, but host Robin Amer attempts to show how the system failed to protect the health, safety, and environment of a neighborhood without the necessary political clout. We're going to be giving away plot points for the city, so if you want to stay spoiler-free, go to our up or down reviews at the time code indicated in the show notes. All right, so we get this uh, basically storyline set up for us that one day hundreds of dump trucks could just drive into a neighborhood and dump debris, and literally nobody knows what's going on. Nobody. Kevin, thoughts? I can't. I couldn't believe that. Uh, I mean, you, I can't imagine that happening today, but it does. I Certainly at that time, it would have to be because people who could do things to stop that 
are just choosing not to for one reason or the other. I just can't believe such a dereliction of duty would happen, but it does. It does. It's it's it, shocking to me. Laura, I, I was just having a flashback, something I didn't tell you guys about. This actually happened next door to me. What? <laughs> Six stories high? No, I had a neighbor who was dumping all these like old junk tires and all this junk next door, and I pretty much drove him out of the neighborhood. Wow. That would have made a better podcast. Well, you were able to do it because you're white. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, that's why that worked, right? Yes. Well, and I was like a private investigator, so I took pictures <laughs> and I was hiding out behind trees, taking pictures of him dumping tires. And um, it Laura was quite an Bricker, experience. Private investigator. You know, every time we listen to one of these podcasts, we should just do an imaginary segment where, like, what would Laura have done? Uh, yeah. <laughs> The best day was the day that I caught the guy, kind of obnoxious like John Christopher, and he looked at me and he started yelling at me, and then he just like urinated right in front of me, and what? I took his picture. Wow. I was like, wow, like all right. Marking his territory. Like through yeah, the pants, was- or did he like whip it out? <laughs> oh, no, he whipped it out, and I just kept taking pictures. <laughs> now, now, Toby, I know that you know you are our woke cynic, as we say in the intro, so I know that this sort of idea of environmental racism probably isn't new to you. But the scale to which this was happening in this Chicago neighborhood, you know, it's you know next to a school, kids literally playing on junk, rats the size of, you know, cats, <laughs> dogs. Like, what were they doing? They were having competitions, like, to see, like, like it was like there was at their entertainment, seeing what the rats were going to do that day. Uh, everyone in the neighborhood getting asthma. Uh, but basically, just essentially this guy driving in and just dumping shit in this huge pile I mean, I'm just curious to know what your reactions were. This was was this part of the story surprising to you? You know, I don't know. I I guess I I wasn't too surprised in that there is. I mean, there's always a question: is what do you do with that stuff? And like, dump it in a poor neighborhood seems <laughs> sort of unfortunately like an obvious answer. Yeah, I guess I, I I wasn't too surprised. I mean, I think the thing is is sort of the idea, like the visual that you get of you know, six stories of just construction waste Mm. is such a powerful sort of symbol of that as opposed to, you know, I think about, uh, it's a book called Savage Inequalities, I think it's called, by Jonathan Kozel, which is talking about an inner city school. I I think it's in New York City. But they talk about how there's an incinerator in the neighborhood and that all these kids have asthma, like all the kids have inhalers. It's a similar thing. It's that these sort of, highly hazardous things are done in these neighborhoods that don't have the political clout to prevent them from being put in the neighborhood. Now, when I was listening to this podcast, Laura, the first episode starts with host Robin Amer ostensibly standing next to the site where this dumping site Mm -hmm. was. And she says it's no longer there. So we know that it's been resolved. Yeah. This story took place quite a while ago. Mm -hmm. And I kept asking myself the question, This is a story, but what are the stakes for me as a listener? It doesn't feel, and perhaps it's because the reveal at the beginning, I mean, clearly you know at the beginning the giant garbage pile isn't still there. Maybe that's what it is. I found myself throughout this podcast thinking like, why are we hearing this? Not that it's not important, but the stakes felt like relatively low to me. I'm I'm not diminishing the impact of this or the intentions of the bad actors, but something about the way the story was put together felt that way to me. And you sent me a note that tells me you kind of felt the same way. 
I did. I, I felt like, you know, the premise of this podcast is interesting. They're going to go to different cities and tell stories of, it sounds like, corruption that occurred in the city. So, I mean, Chicago, that's a great setting for something like this. There's there's lots of um, stories in Chicago. But this particular story, like you said, is resolved. I'm pretty sure there's a pretty full, um, thorough book about it, which is referenced. There doesn't seem to be anything that happened recently in the story. And and for me, you know, I don't know if we want to get into this now, but like the first two episodes were interesting. I love the neighborhood activists. This is interesting. What's happening? We're following along with them. And then once we get past like the FBI Forrest Gump, who he was kind of an interesting guy, all of a sudden it's just like the same thing over and over and over again. I'm like, John Christopher, I just like to say his name because it's kind of a fun name to say, <laughs> but like... Okay, John Christopher is doing this, but he's still doing this. Uh, the pile's still here. John Christopher is still bribing people. John Christopher is still lying. The pile's still here. Guess what? John Christopher is doing this again. I'm like, we could not have condensed that into one episode instead of five. Right. So it just started to drag in terms of there was no... There was nothing it was building towards in terms of the story. At some point, I felt like I was listening to like the Charlie Brown teacher who was like, wonk, 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 wonk. There's mm-hmm. a mountain, wonk, wonk. John Christopher, wonk, wonk. He's in trouble. I'm like, I don't care anymore. And it was unfortunate because in the beginning, I really cared. And then at, I, I didn't even finish this. Confe- I didn't even, I couldn't even finish it. Um, because okay. after like episode eight, I was like. Me, too, me neither. Yeah. I finished eight. I couldn't, I couldn't get past it. I, I couldn't. couldn't do it. No, I, I just, I'm with you. I'm I with got you. all the way to the end. Good for you. Including the preview of season two. Good for you. So Kevin, I have a question for you because we talked about this. You and I mm-hmm. listened to this together on a long car trip. This should have been a very bingeable podcast. Yeah. Made that car trip seem a whole lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> it did. Somebody, somebody wrote on our Facebook page, I'm about to get on a 10-hour flight to listen to the city. And Kevin responded, only if you want the flight to feel like 26 hours. <laughs> um, so here's the thing, Kevin. Yeah. And this was my observation, but I love your thoughts. Interesting story. Interesting yeah. characters. Like Robin is really likable and her team is really likable. The lack of editing of the writing yeah. of this how many the, times did we hear her say, here's a statement about something that may have happened? Although Henderson had a lot of power as a city commissioner, Mayor Daly had more, a lot more. In other words... In other words, Ben says, if Daly wanted something done, it got done. And what that means is... If he had wanted the dumps in North Lawndale gone, they would have been gone. Yeah, this there's thing a just lot happened. of over-exposition. There was a thing where everything it was like, is overexposed. Right, it's like, everything. These people listen to crime writers on. They listen to Rebecca. <laughs> they listen to Kevin. <laughs> they listen to Laura, and they even listen to Toby. And what that means is <laughs> they listen to all four of them. In other words, yeah, it, they love this podcast. In other words, yeah, they listen to all of them. D- we were yelling. At, we was, were yelling. There, yeah. We were saying, "We know." There's a lot of reasons why this. Di- <laughs> I think probably the. The big flaw is trying to make this 10 episodes. Mm, And it ended up, yeah, it ended up making this a story with a lot of dead wood Mm. that could have been trimmed. Yeah. I think 
personally that it feels like there are three different podcasts here. The first four episodes, and then when we find out about John Christopher's FBI past, it makes this hard pivot into like, oh, I'm like, oh, is this what this is actually about? It's about this whole behind-the-scenes crime thing. It took us five episodes to get there. It, was, yeah, it took us another three episodes, and then like we, we cut back, you know, everybody's been arrested, and now we're off to Houston. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, I think that this would have made an excellent one-hour episode of This American Life. Mm. Or, as it's laid out in sort of these three parts, this would have made a very interesting nonfiction book with a part one, part two, part three. Don't call it the city, call it something, the dump or whatever the hell. Um, or how about a three-part podcast? A book. It was a book. She referenced the book. Yeah, well, she could, they could have written a book exactly, you know, if you took all this stuff and put it together. You know, it could have been a great outside-in episode. I just... Yeah. <laughs> I felt like there was too much, and yeah, I was like listening to it and just losing it, losing the train of thought because I feel like we've covered this. It happened in the, I think, episode eight in particular, which mm-hmm. is the one where I tapped out, mm-hmm. which I think could have been the most interesting. This is the thing, like everything about this could have been interesting, yeah. and that's why I set up the power of an editor. When you hear that an editor would have made a difference, it's the worst kind of bad editing because we were listening to the uh, environmental racism episode. Mm-hmm. We hear that the sociologist put pins on a map to show that these dumps went only in poor black neighborhoods. And then it's like, and now now we're going to the break. And it comes back from the break, which, by the way, is only a minute long. It's just a freaking third love ad or whatever. And then it's like, before the break... We heard that sociologist blah 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 was doing this work to try you know how, to find you know how out. Our son is writing these college essays, and yes. they have to have so many words. Yes, <laughs> it feels like what this podcast was. We signed up for ten episodes, and now we're going to give you ten. There's, there's no reason why the if it had to be ten episodes, why the episodes couldn't have been thirty minutes. Well, there probably was a reason. They probably went down what they signed up for. Yeah, uh, I, I, I do feel like we made a hard pivot from talking about the story to talking about what we didn't like, which is uh, fine. Yeah. Um, but I just want to give Toby a chance to weigh in on some of the interesting aspects of the story, because I know that Toby does love a good corruption tale. <laughs> Toby, what do you think of these aspects that we did here? I mean, we did hear a whole lot about corruption. We did hear a whole lot about corrupt city officials. We heard a whole lot about sort of the influence of money and sort of the influence of the power stuff. Did you think that stuff was good? So this kind of stuff like naturally just sort of interests me. I wrote a book about, you know, corruption and, you know, urban renewal, basically. Uh, so it's... What's the name of that book, Toby, in case anyone wants to check it out? It's called Invisible Streets, <laughs> the third of the city trilogy. Anyway. Um, they ripped that off from Toby. <laughs> it, it's sort of naturally something I'd be interested in. You know, I, I think I liked it more than you guys did. And it, and it does have like a ton of problems. But I thought the subject matter was really good. I thought the part where they were talking about the history of Chicago politics and sort of the machine versus the independent uh, Democrats and then the how important Harold Washington being elected as the first African-American mayor uh, was, I thought that was really interesting. What it all kind of seemed to boil down to for me, you essentially end up with – somebody mentions that you know they think Chicago is – like underrated as as for its segregation or the most segregated city or something like that. You know, the, the crux of the matter is is that they're basically letting this criminal get away with all this stuff including dumping in this African American neighborhood so that they can get him to set up 
African American and I guess Latino uh, politicians to take bribes. Yeah, it is this sort of weird story of sort of the white power structure letting a white guy take advantage of the corruption to to you know make money at the expense of African Americans, and they're letting him do this solely so he can incriminate. Uh, African-American politicians. So I thought that was, uh, you know, a pretty powerful story. Uh, You have to kind of do some, it's kind of cluttered, you know, you have to do some digging to get to the heart of what it is, I think. And I thought there was enough there, but it does kind of go on and on and on. Now, Kevin, you wanted to give a shout out to the online version of the podcast, I think, right? Yeah, I, I think the USA that, Today print version of the story. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I, I said this about Serial, and uh, I think also in the dark did this for a lot of these podcasts are really upping their digital game, and I think it's part of what you should consider with the overall package that they put out. Their website uh, for the City Podcast has um, a lot of good resources on it. You know, a lot of the documents that were brought up and it has this really cool three-dimensional map of the neighborhood so you can see the dump you know kind of spin around the neighborhood different uh, buildings are there I'm looking at it right now it's super cool Um, so anyway I just think that it's something that a a lot of podcasts are bringing to the game is not just the audio portion of their story they're supplementing it in different ways now I do want to also just note that this podcast was the result of many years of work and a labor of love by Robin Amer herself. I know Robin Amer a little bit. I met her about five years ago at an ONA conference, Online News Association conference. I watched her pitch this podcast as part of a contest called the WNYC Podcast Accelerator Contest. Uh-huh. And she did, there was like, I don't know, 10 or whatever podcasts that pitched and the winner was going to get to produce a podcast with WNYC. She got up on stage. I'll tell you in a sec. She got up on stage. Her presentation started with telling somebody's story, saying it was the worst day of his life. And the AV behind her failed and the the slideshow didn't go. And she asked if she could start again. And then when she, you know, she started that line again, it was the worst day of his life. It was very funny to the audience. And her presentation was amazing. And she was so charming. And we became friends and we follow each other on Twitter now. She actually co-won that along with the podcast that would later become Nancy from Uh WNYC, the the podcast with the two gay hosts. Their pitch was actually called Gadio at the time. Uh And Robin won that. So WNYC ended up dropping the project. I was actually very happy to see that it got made. I just think in my criticism of it here that it's not necessarily the reporting and the reporter and the producers it is the editing problem and the com- maybe the commitment to the project length, whatever problem. You mean the person that you don't know on Twitter? It's their fault? No. What I'm saying is I think this could be a great podcast if 60% of it were cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Laura Bricker, you know, maybe we should just end it there. Why don't you let our listeners know, do you recommend the city? Do you give it a thumbs up or thumbs down? And I would just love your other thoughts about the podcast if you want to add them to this conversation. See, I'm bringing back thumb sideways because here's what I'm going to say. Listen to like the first three episodes and the last episode because the first episodes were really interesting. I love the music. I love this uh, music. music they have great. the gong, gong. It's great. I, I mean, I can't, I can't recreate it, but it was, it was great music. It added to the whole scene. It was just the middle portion. 
was all just like kind of the same thing over and over and over again. But the story was really interesting. And I loved the citizen activists who were pushing for Mount Henry to be taken down. But I think you can get that experience by listening to the beginning and the end of the podcast and skipping the middle. So I'm going back to thumb sideways. Toby, what do you think? Sorry, Patrick. <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down for the city from USA Today, Toby. And if you have final thoughts about the podcast, feel free to add them here. Again, I, I, it, it's, a, it's a subject that I, I find really interesting. I, you know, this is always so hard because if I gave like kind of a thumbs up to Dirty John, I thought this was a lot better than Dirty John. So um, do it. Thumbs I, up I it, Toby. Do it. <laughs> I, I'm a, don't rush me. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say a thumbs up. I, I, you know, again, it's not it's not perfect. I think you guys have done a pretty good job of of cataloging its flaws. It does paint a pretty broad picture I feel like there was like five or six topics that come up in it that would have made for good 15 or 20 minute conversations. There's a lot in there, but again, you, you kind of have to wade through some stuff to get to it. Like a junk pile? <laughs> yeah. And the other, the other thing, I wish they could stop calling it a giant dump yeah. or a big dump. And all I could think about was uh, taking a big dump. Freaking, uh, Season two of American Vandal. <laughs> um, I'm going to sadly give this a thumbs down. I really wanted to like it. I really like Robin, really like the characters. And I love the music. The production style is great. And I want to give a nod for one thing that this podcast does right that so many podcasts get wrong, including some of our favorites like In the Dark and like other shows. They know how to mic a field interview, like better than any other podcast we've heard. They have the both the interviewer and the interviewee on mics. So you don't hear this. So what did you think about the uh, dump site? You hear, so what did you think about the dump site? I really like the exactly. dump site. Exactly. So both people are mic'd. So I don't know if they're doing that with a producer or lav mics or whatever, but really good job on that aspect of the production. It was a small thing, but it matters to me. The music is great. I have to give a thumbs down for the podcast because it really could have used a strong editing hand. The repetition of it made me fucking crazy. Kevin, what about you? I'm also a, a thumbs down. I was really intrigued by, you know, the idea of doing the podcast around this idea of an illegal dump. It seems kind of quirky and like not very obvious and really unconventional. And as a starting point, it was good, but it kind of just, I think it just labored all of the points and just for all of the interesting things that it started picking up, whether it's the the, the, the history of the, the politics or the undercover stings and all the other stuff that I want to keep spoiler-free, I think it just languished uh, a little too long and lavished those things a little too long, and I started losing focus. So I'm a thumbs down. I do want to say if they want to uh, go and start cleaning up that dump, I mean, they apparently took years and years, they've done that. But what they should be doing is recycling those water bottles and making Rothy's shoes out of them. Oh, what a good idea. What a good idea. <laughs> the holiday season means company parties and time with family, so why shouldn't you look stylish and feel comfortable all at the same time? Why the hell not? Rothy's is the everyday flat for life on the go. It's stylish, classic, comfortable, and it comes in four fashionable styles, the flat, the point, the loafer, and the sneaker for women and girls. Best of all, they're made from recycled plastic water bottles. We love Rothy's because they are so soft on our feet. At least that's what the ladies tell me. Right, ladies? Yeah, totally. We love them. They're fun they to walk are. in. They're comfortable, soft on the feet. It's like a pillow. Just like a and pillow they come on the feet. in all sorts of fun colors, Kevin. 
These ladies love their Rothy's, and they know that you will too. Right now, Rothy's has an amazing deal for our listeners. You use code CRIME Crime. to get free shipping with no minimum. That's free shipping and free returns and exchanges on your Rothy's shoe. So go to Rothy's, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com, and enter CRIME to get your new favorite flats for free shipping. This is a no-brainer. Shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable. And free shipping. Go get yourself a pair today. Rothy's.com. Promo code CRIME. Crime. Get this deal while it lasts. What else you got, Kevin? Well, this holiday season, as you uh, try to rack your brain. Yes. Why don't you get into the mind-blowing comfort that is Tommy John underwear? Oh, I love me. I'm literally wearing them right now. I'm going to show you. Oh, my God. Did you take those from my drawer? Nope. They're mine. Tommy John is the most comfortable <laughs> underwear on the planet. Both the men and women's underwear sport a no-wedgie guarantee. Comfortable, stay-put waistbands and a range of fabrics that are luxuriously soft, feather-light, moisture-wicking, breathable, and designed to move with you, not against you. Yeah, when I'm looking at you, it's okay. You can show me again. Here you go. Yeah. Okay. See, like, I'm going to just, I'm just going to, like, They're very soft. Time. They're very soft. And with limited edition holiday gifts and daily deals, there's something for everyone on your list, whether they're naughty or nice. I'm nice. Or naughty and nice. <laughs> They'd fit in stockings very well, too, Kevin. They would. And That's who doesn't want to get underwear in their stocking? Well, if you get, like, super nice underwear by Tommy John. It's awesome. You Yes. Better than Cole, Rebecca. Better True. than Cole. Give the gift of mind-blowing comfort this holiday season with limited edition holiday gifts from Tommy John. Save 20% on your first order at TommyJohn.com slash crime. Crime. That's TommyJohn.com slash crime, crime for 20% off. What else you got, Kevin? Uh, well, instead of buying new things, head to Poshmark to shop from millions of closets across America. Wait, Poshmark is sponsoring the show? Poshmark, yes. I know them. It's the easiest way to buy and sell fashion items. You go to download the free Poshmark app to shop from tons of brands across women's, kids, and, and men's products. Uh, you won't believe like the deals that you find. It's a place where you can find Louis Vuitton bags for $300. Wow. I found a whole bunch of team apparel, yeah. overcoats, just about everything. You can uh, buy there. You also can sell your stuff. You can. Yeah, you'll be able to find all of your favorite brands like Nike, Lululemon, up to 70% off on some items. It's really great. So this holiday season, instead of standing in line, you can shop for everyone from the comfort of your own home. Today, you can get $5 off your first purchase when you enter the invite code CRIME5 Crime. Five five. when you sign up. <laughs> you jump the gun. Do it again. Code? It's CRIME5. Crime five. Five. <laughs> Just download the Poshmark app, sign in, and enter the code CRIME5, Crime five. for $5 off your first purchase. Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast. Was that slow enough? A little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, week. the week. Kevin always says I rush that part. You could say he was a fast driver. Fast as in that ended pretty quickly. A teenager in Germany lost his driver's license 49 minutes after he got it. The 18-year-old had just passed his driving test when he went for a cruise with four buddies in the car. Oh, that's the problem. That's when he got clocked doing 95 in a 50 kilometer zone in miles per hour. That's doing 60 in about a 30. Not only is his license gone for a month, but he'll pay a 200 euro fine, get two points on his license, and have his probationary new drive period increased from two to four years. In their statement, German police wrote, some things last forever, others not even for an hour. 
So here's my question <laughs> for you, panel. Uh, this kid's driving was easy come, easy go. What other things did not last long enough for this teenager? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Oh, I'm so glad you came to me first. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to be. Um, I think his first sexual encounter. <laughs> you think? Yeah, I think he's. I think he's the Minute Man. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a low hanging fruit, but I'm glad someone picked it. Toby Ball, what about you? Do you think anything else did not last long enough for this teenager? There's only really one answer that's already been given. So I'd just say I don't think it's 15 <laughs> minutes is going to go much longer. Yeah, I have the same answer too. I'm going to say, uh, since it's in Germany, maybe his first Wiener Schnitzel did not last long enough. Isn't that the same thing? No, it's the. F- <laughs> no. No. Hoschen. the Schwanzsticker. His Trauserschlange. Yeah. <laughs> we have kids who take German and we like to pretend that we know it too, but we don't. Anyway, we should probably wrap it up on that note. Laura Bricker, before we do, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> We do. Um, Building on our theme from my last cat of the week, this is a happy thing. One of our favorite listeners, Erin Fox. Foxy! Yes, out in California. Her cat, uh, Sweet Pea, who went missing during the wildfires, was missing for 11 days and finally came home this week. Oh, that's great. I was so happy to see this. Such a nice looking little kitty. And I was so happy for that. So good job, Sweet Pea. I'm glad. It's like the incredible journey for crying out loud. I know. Erin Fox has gotten a lot of time on this podcast. I know. We mentioned her last time, For all the wrong reasons. But she's great. We love ourselves and Foxy. Well, Laura Bricker, people want to reach out to you with perhaps other happy stories of their cats, dogs, iguanas for your cat slash pet of the week segment. How can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toy Ball, folks want to reach out to you and give you a big old internet slap on the face for not knowing who Connie Britton is just weeks after you didn't know who her Friday Night Lights husband Kyle Chandler was. How can they find you online? Uh, at Toby Ball NH. <laughs> and Kevin Flynn, people want to reach out to you and tell you how handsome you are? How can they find you on They can always do that at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you strenuously to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, and support the show on Patreon com slash partners in crime media and you will get access to the balls deep dive book club podcast and lar bricker's rage walking true crime fitness fun group you can also get a free month of stitcher premium if you go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code crime when you join you can hear our other show married with podcast our theme song was performed by the new york sky jazz ensemble and used with permission and this show is recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in basin louis mississippi studio otherwise known as studio c a closet in our basement where boxes of christmas lights and old clothes are piled six stories high on behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we will catch you Later. Later. Uh, hey, Toad. What's up? What's oh going my God, on there? Is that really how you type? It is, yeah. So I have, I like having a big clicky keyboard. I don't like having like the little um, laptop keyboard. So I have this big clicky keyboard. You sound like keyboard cat. You don't even sound like you're typing real letters. <laughs> Go ahead, type some more. Toby, am I wrong? That doesn't sound extraordinarily fast. I I just assume she's pranking us.
Now I'm writing, here's the info on the Women Supporting Women's Center that I told you about today. <laughs> yeah, blah, I don't blah, buy it blah. for a second. <laughs> um, yeah, it's disturbing to my family as well. You're so. typing, like, how many words a minute do you type? <laughs> I have no idea. Kevin, you have to come here, Laura, type. <laughs> That's like 130 words a minute That's or something. That's crazy. <laughs> we just discovered Laura has a superpower. We just realized, not only does Laura have an extraordinarily loud keyboard, you have to hear her type. Okay. She pounds it super hard and it's super fast. Is that how she really types? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Laura, read to us as you're typing. You have to hear Laura type. She types super hard and super fast. Doesn't she sound like that keyboard cat gif? (laughs) (laughs) It's a goddamn superpower. You type it's a goddamn superpower? I just did. I put an exclamation point on that part. Jesus <laughs> Christ, Lars. Partners in crime, crime media. media. This show is sponsored by Wild Fang, a feminist fashion brand that's here to take down the patriarchy and is committed to giving back. You go, girl. You go, girl. Wild Fang is a female-founded and women-run brand offering gender-smashing styles that borrow from the boys. A percentage of every purchase at wildfang.com goes to charity, and they raise hundreds of thousands of dollars each year to fight for your rights, Kevin. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Go do that, Kevin. Wildfang.com and use code CRIME. 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 For 25% off. That's Wildfang, F-A-N-G.com and use code, everyone say it, CRIME. crime.